Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing, positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Hello everybody, how are we all? Are you ready for another episode of Join Up Dots? This is going to be episode 194. We really are flying through them at a rate of knots and um, it's amazing. Uh, I've said this a few times but when you start a show like this you just want to get to say 50 shows and then you think right I get to 100 and then suddenly it just speeds up and you can't remember doing the first one, you can't remember doing the 100th one but you start planning towards the 500 and the 1,000. So we've got some great stuff coming up and we've got something today that is great because we've got a lady on the other end of the line who is quite simply talking my language when it comes to staff development. Now, if you've listened to a few of the shows, you will have heard me wax lyrical as to why companies focus in on the things that employees can't do and pretty much ignore the things they can. It seems lunacy to me that the strengths are not developed to the highest levels possible. But for some reason, they're not. Well, our guest found that same belief when she was in her first manager role, sitting in her office, and she got a phone call from a colleague. Her colleague was extremely upset as she had just received her annual performance review and felt, well, beat up and worthless. She shared that she was barely recognised for the things she was good at and marked down for things that just weren't in her nature. Now, I've been there and I bet most of you have been there as well. And with those words, that it really just changed our guest's life forever. Why can't they just accept me for who I am? I'm 35 years old. I'm not going to change, her colleague said. And with those words ringing in their ears, she set off to change the lives of employees across America. She's a speaker, coach, author, and founder of Shoop Training and Consulting, so certainly has a lot on her plate at the moment. But what was it about this one employee that really hit home more than any of the others that she'd managed during her corporate life? And how can people find their key strengths in life and then most importantly, convince their management to let them flourish in these areas well let's find out as we bring on to the show to start joining up dots the one and only emily shoop how are you emily i am super thank you so much for having me on today I, I found it difficult to do that intro. I started to get a bit annoyed by, by what happens in the world out there. But it's it's a bad thing, isn't it? We're going to touch on it later. But just quite simply, it's bad, isn't it, that they focus in on the weaknesses? Yeah, it's, you know, it comes from a, a, a school of thought of, you know, 
in good intentions where we're going to help people develop their weaknesses, but really that doesn't help anybody shine in the long run, especially um, those of us who have gone into entrepreneurship. You really have to focus on your strengths and somehow in the workplace, focusing on those weaknesses seems like the right thing to do and we'll probably go into it deeper later, but it is such the opposite of what you want to do in order to be um, a productive, happy, well very successful team. Well, you in your, just you yourself, you are productive. And we were talking just before recording about how happy you are. We were sort of, once again, waxing lyrical, how when you find your thing in life, and it's the thing that really excites you, your whole kind of time frame moves. And where you don't want to get out of bed in the morning, because you don't like what you're doing, you actually end up not wanting to go to bed because you feel like you're wasting time on the things that you want to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I never thought that sleeping would seem like such an annoying thing to have to have to do. Like, oh, I want to get up and do these other things. And oh, I had these great ideas. And oh, my clients could use this. And yeah, you have to, um, <laughs> you have to keep it under control sometimes. Well, we're going to try to develop this show and we're going to call it the Mr. Shoop show, aren't we? Because your, your <laughs> husband is not entrepreneurial and he is um, in a corporate gig. And he, he sort of, just can't quite understand that vibe that you have for taking the creative risk. Were you like that before you met him or did you marry and then sort of did your leap of faith? Um, so I did not start my business until a few years ago, um, but I always had it in me. And I, I do give him credit. I always say that had I not been married to him, we would probably live in a cardboard box because I would have tried a million different business ideas that I had along the way. Um, and, and he kept me grounded from that perspective. But then um, when, it, when I found the right thing for my personality, for our lifestyle, for what I was really good at and passionate about, then he was able to say, yeah, I can see where you're going to be a lot happier if that's what you're doing day in day out instead of what I was working on um, so it was much easier at that point but um, yeah no when we got married that I, I was just a regular old working girl so if you go back in time and you say you've always had that entrepreneurial spirit were you you know and I ask this question a lot but because it, it just strikes me as really weird coming from the United Kingdom but were you the lemonade stand girl because we just don't do that in the united kingdom i've never once seen any kids setting up a lemonade stand but over there it seems like on every corner the kids are mixing up this weird thing and and people are willingly drinking it so it, it's funny that you ask that because i um i've listened to a lot of podcasts and and people talk about always having that entrepreneurial mindset and to me what i hear them going into is how they always had um the ability to sell something and for me, that's not what it was. I always had the desire to lead and lead others and then and the desire to do things my way, that there was always a better way to do things. And, um, and so for me, that's what the entrepreneurial spirit is. Not, I did sell some stuff here and there um, over the years, but it wasn't that I was so good at, like you said, selling lemonade, or I didn't hustle and mow everybody's yards, or, you know, I did little things here and there. I always made some money, but it wasn't, that wasn't the drive. It was the, there's got to be a better way to do things. And to me, that's the entrepreneurial spirit. Did you think, well, I, 
I, I personally think that Tim Ferriss had a big um, pivotal change in the mindset across the world because when I read his book, The 4-Hour Workweek, it made me realise, hang on, there's better ways of doing. And up to that point, I'd, I'd kind of gone with the status quo. Had you always felt that or was there a moment like me when I got to page 44 of that book that I thought, this is it, my life is changing, I'm never going back? So I always struggled to fit into the corporate setting. Um, and so there always seemed like there was something uh, wrong with me in in that respect, because I always thought that there was a better way. I didn't know exactly what it was, but there seemed like there should be a different approach to things. Um, and then I also always wanted... Um, to be in control of my own results. And I didn't feel like I got that satisfaction from any of the jobs that I had. Um, and I did try having a sales job and failed miserably, but that was is the most direct job that you can have where if I work really hard, I should get really you know recognized for for that in in my pay, in my you know recognition in in my role and all of that. And so um, for me, it was all along just not fitting in where um, I wanted to work hard and be recognized for it and not just fit in with everybody else. So, so what, what was the core thing about not fitting in? If you're, if you're working hard and being recognized, don't you naturally fit in? Well, in, so I didn't fit in because I never was, I was never fully happy. I was never fully satisfied. I was always wanting to learn something more. So it seemed like in most of my jobs, I think only one of my jobs I had for more than um, a couple of years. Like every couple of years, I was like, what's next? What else should we be doing? Or, you know, what else should I be learning? I've learned this. Um, I'm better than good at it. I'm not the absolute best, but I didn't care to know things that at that level. So I was in technology before and um, did the computer networking. So I was under the floor and connecting up um, massive machines and massive networks. And um, while technically I could do the job, I liked learning something new and being able to execute it well. But then after I got to you know that just a little bit better than good point, I was bored and ready for something else. And so that's where I really felt like I just didn't fit in like I should have just been happy or I should have wanted to learn it deeper and I used to always joke around like my coworkers like to learn things at the zeros and ones level and I had no desire to learn things deeper and in technology in order to really excel your career you have to go really deep and it just did not didn't fit for me so so what are your strengths then and we're going to touch on it because i imagine you've gone through the gallup strength finders um book have you used that oh yeah i've used about just about every test <laughs> that you can um and and for me you know and then you can see why my business is the way it is for me it's developing and um developing relationships connecting to other people and really um helping others do well and and so if those are your strengths that's not always doesn't always translate directly into a job in a corporate setting um you know if you're supposed to be technology focused 
but but your your strengths then lead me to think that you are looking for connections. If you've learned something, you want to build on that. You want to add something else to it. You want to sort of push the envelope. I can totally see how once you cracked something, it was time to move on because it wasn't playing to those strengths that you've analysed and you've now come out with. Right, and um, yeah, and it, that that desire to, okay, we problem solved, we learned something, let's share it with people so that they can learn from that mistake and then let's move on. Whereas, um, especially in um, in a lot of the really technical roles I had, you know, you were really supposed to document and refine and really get into the nitty gritty. And I was like, problem solved, let's move on. You know, everybody's happy, everybody's working, good, let's go. And, um, and, and really was, uh, much more focused on the people side of the the process and and so it didn't match very well with the career choices that i had made because i i went through strength finders 2.0 and i recommend it strongly for people out there because you know what what we're talking about is really if you if you're in a job where your energy levels are at the lowest we kind of assume that you must be working really really hard but now I can see that you're putting so much effort into getting through the day. You're actually doing a job that doesn't play to your strengths. Pretty much that, Emily, isn't it? So for right. many years, I was in a job that I used to come home absolutely spent. And I look back on it now and I think, yes, I did the job and I did it very well. But it was taking every ounce of my effort and my strengths because I weren't playing to my strengths. So when I had my, uh, my test, I came out as number one futuristic number two, maximizer, number three, belief, four, positivity, and five, activator. And in this role here, it really plays to most of those, which is why I find it so easy. And it's been a complete mindset shift for me that if you look at your strengths and you analyze your strengths and you take the tests to work out what your strengths are, then you've got a half a chance to find something that plays to those and people will recognize that and you will get recognition because you're doing the things that you naturally should be doing. It's about right, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, it, it reminds me of two. There's an, another test called Colby, K-O-L-B-E. And um, and when I did that one, it, uh, it came out that I have to be multitasking. And, and so I should look for roles that involve you know some level of multitasking. And for years, I was trying to you know, although you have multiple projects that are going on, but I was, oh, no, I shouldn't be multitasking. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have six different windows open because, you know, for time management purposes or focus. And it really, it stressed me more out to, to try to only do the one thing where I got much more done if I had three or four screens open and knew what I, you know, was flowing along. Because for my personality, there has to be a level of speed. You know, there has to be a level of activity. So, and it makes, and the other thing I thought of when you were saying that was that we all, um, and, and especially as an entrepreneur, you struggle with, wow, this is so easy, it, but I should have to work hard in order to be doing a good job. So if it's not hard, what am I doing wrong? And, um, and even in the, in the you know, corporate space or in working in a small business, people get trapped into, well, if my job is easy, I must not be doing something right. And, um, and if you do those types of tests and you see, well, as long as you are in your strengths, then it should be easy. And that is, you know, the idea is to not be miserable at work 
40 plus hours a week the idea is to enjoy it you're only on this planet once aren't you so you should do things that you, you want to do really and, and don't do things that other people want you to do which is one of the sort of traits that so many people have gone through and i'll be interested if you've done the same have you followed a path that was expected of you or was something that your mum and dad expected of you or there was a certain peer pressure in your life yeah so when i went to college um, I, I picked a good business school that was about the only thing I knew I wanted to do was to go into something business related and that was because I had an amazing um, business high school teacher and I just loved everything about her so I just decided that you know then I should go into business and knowing that I always wanted my own business I looked into their entrepreneurial program but in order to um, to be in that program you had to know what business you were starting and I had no idea I didn't have any you know like you were saying I didn't have my massive lemonade franchise <laughs> system that I wanted to to look into I had nothing I had a blank piece of paper but I wanted to run a business and um, and so they told me that that I couldn't go to school for that and so then I kind of looked around and said well you know computers are kind of a big thing right now and I like computers and and so I went into that, and when I was graduating, um, it was the big Y2K problem was hot. So I was going into a job market where um, we had a 99.5% placement rate when we graduated from college because they were, they were hiring so many people mm. into solving this Y2K problem. And so it was like, well, yeah, that's the right thing to do. There's jobs there. My brother was going to school for art and was not finding jobs. So he kept hopping around and dragging out his um, his degree. You know, it took him seven years to get a four-year degree because he couldn't find anything to do with the work. So he just kept going and delaying graduating. So it, by my parents' standards, I was doing the right thing. I was... Um, finding something where I could actually get paid and uh, and going into that and it was something that was needed and then it paid well. That was the other trap was it paid very well. And, and you see it and, as a trap now, do you? Yes, I do see it as a trap. Um, and, you know, going back to my husband and, um, you know, that was probably the biggest thing was convincing him leaving um, in pretty nice salaries was a good idea to, to venture it out on my own and make nothing for a while. Um, but it was definitely a trap that you get into. And um, locally here, we call it the golden handcuffs. Mm. You know, you're, you're not happy, but you're paid so well that you just keep doing the work. I, I've, I've been there. I think that the highest that I ever earned, I was the most unhappy. And I used to just get through every day. And I remember my wife saying to me, just quit, just quit. And I was going, we can't quit. We can't quit. We need the money. We need the money. And I used to break into like psoriasis, like pressure, skin thing. Um, mm. And when I, and I, I just thought it was something that I had. It was like a condition. But then when I was off and I wasn't there, it cleared up. And then when I went back to work, it came back again. And I thought, hang yeah. on, there's something going on here. And when they made me redundant and they said to me that you can either work for a week now or you can leave straight away and we'll pay you I just walked out of there and it was like a weight was off me and I just knew it was the right decision but it was a decision that I couldn't make myself as you say golden handcuffs mm -hmm. yeah and it's um and I watch a lot of people struggle with that and you know um 
wanting wanting more, wanting to be focused in on their strengths and everything and just not being able to to make that leap because, you know, we buy houses and cars and we have all these things we think we need to maintain. But in all actuality, if you're miserable and broken out in hives all the time um, or you can't even stay awake when you get home at the end of the day because it's so draining, you're not living anyway. So you might as well have less stuff and be more you know excited. How, on a rating of 1 to 10, I don't think I've ever asked anyone this, how excited are you on a daily basis? And then, then I will tell you my excitement level. <laughs> I, I would say that so as, when I'm getting to work with clients and when I'm um, getting to uh, produce something for somebody, like getting ready for this interview, like I was, you know, this is the middle of the day for me, but waking up early to like, oh, I'm excited. I have that to do. So when I have that kind of stuff lined up, then it's definitely at a 10. Um, when I don't balance it and I have too much of like, you know, because we still are running businesses, there's still the tedious work. Then I'm more at like, I'm more at like a six, I would say, because it's still all for me and for my business and it directly impacts my family. So it's still good, but it's not quite as good because it's the tedious work. I, I, what about I, you? Yeah, I think pretty much the same. When I've got a whole day lined up of shows to record and a lot of people think that it's madness. They say, why, why don't you just do one each day? And I sort of say to them, it's much easier to psych myself up when I'm doing six or seven or eight or nine back to back to back than it is just doing one and then next day another one. So I am on an absolute 10. I literally run up the garden, make myself a cup of coffee and I know for the next 10 or 11 hours I'm having amazing conversations with amazing people people it can't be better the other bits of getting people booked in and doing the social media and all that kind of stuff I would say I'm about a four and I have days that I know that I've just got to plow through that to make everything else seem sort of effortless so I yeah I, I sort of lean between a 10 and a four now if we take that full circle and we're talking about finding the strengths in things, why are we allowing ourselves to have these fours and sixes? Why are we not getting somebody else to do those, which plays to their strengths, and they will enjoy that, and it will make our lives so much easier as well? Right, and um, that is the goal. That That is the plan. But then I think that there there's value in... Um, I was talking with another business owner, and, you know, struggling with because it's it's heavier on all the the doing side of things you know there's value in understanding what needs to be done and then figuring out how you want it to be done um one of the things that i work with businesses with is their culture and that has to do with how you you interact with your clients and um your staff and and the whole vibe of working with you and I, i think if we were to just day one hire other people to do all this for us it wouldn't we wouldn't figure out what that culture would be so they would just kind of put their culture out there um and and so that's where i think that value is um in us doing in doing the work i i I agree with you i do agree with you that and that's my sort of my theory on the whole thing i just like the fact that i know the ins and outs of everything so that when i give it over to somebody and they charge me for it i know the value of what they're charging me for so that's my kind of logic but i um on the show just before this one i was recording the lady had a totally 
opposing view. And she said that basically, if you are spending your time trying to learn the nuts and bolts of everything, then you are not pushing your business forward. It's the 80-20 principle, you know, just focusing on the things that's going to bring maximum reward. And if you're doing all these other stuff that aren't, but they need to be done, then get rid of them. And I'm, I'm really trapped in the middle of this. I can see her point and I can see our point as well. And I don't know what the right answer is. And I think, and I see both as well. And I have done, um, I've gone up and down in my business, you know, and when there's more clients, I've had um, stuff that I've outsourced. Um, But then if you, you know, if you're, you take a dip in your client um, roster, then, then although it's very helpful, it becomes an expense. And for me, the financial, I would rather like to only be financially obligated to myself. And I take it personally, if I'm, um, and, you know, right or wrong, I'm sure there's other experts that'll come on and tell you that I was crazy for saying this, but I take it personally, if I have to let you go, because I'm not bringing in enough money. And that puts too much pressure on the sale for me. So I'm very guarded of, um, of how much pressure I have on the sales process, because I really just want to serve my clients and not worry of, okay, I have to cover this expense, that expense, this one, and that one. And I I think that you get, you'll, I think it's a momentum thing. When there's the, enough momentum and you can keep it going, um, then you can maintain that. But until you can maintain it, I think it's smart business to manage your expenses. How, how do you overcome that that fear of grabbing every opportunity that comes your way because you need the money. This is one of the situations that I think I was in for a long time, that I was so wary when I started doing this that I didn't want to do coaching and mentoring because I might end up with 12 bosses pulling me from all corners of the earth, where before I had one awful boss and I thought, I'm not going to replicate that. I'm going to keep control. Now I realise then that's that's just stupid and I can manage it quite (laughs) easily. But there was a point in my time I just couldn't see how I could let the control thing go. With you, with obviously clients coming and go, how do you stop that as well, grabbing everyone, grabbing the bad clients, the good clients, the ones that are going to suck all your time just so that you can make sure that you've got the money? Well, and it's so funny because, you know, that people tell you, you know, you got to have a, a, a niche right away and you've got to be narrow. And, and that is so hard when you're starting out, like you just need to get paid. And through that process, process then you figure out what you are willing to do. And, um, and so with my technology background, um, I had to learn that I, that it didn't suit me very well to do technology services for businesses because I would run into a small business and say they would say yeah we really like you know the leadership stuff that you're working on and that would be great but you know you're really active on social media could you do that for us like well yeah I could it's not hard I can whip up some stuff but it wasn't again it was back to all right but that's not where my strengths are so I'm not playing in the right game so um so then it became to a matter of okay is this am I going to have that life sucked out of me feeling if I take this work on um or or not and realizing then um and I think it takes having a few clients and and testing it out and seeing what it feels like and so I tried it a few times like you know I would have to charge way too much you could find somebody who would do it for cheaper but in order for me to not feel like it's sucking the life out of me 
I would have to charge you more than you should pay, and that just doesn't feel right. Um, and it's it drains me for when I am working with my leadership clients or um, working on their culture and their organization, and I don't like going um, doing that type of work and then being drained when I'm trying to be supportive of, like you were saying, like your coaching clients. If these podcasts suck the life out of you and then you had to go support somebody what kind of service are you really going to give them? And so that's, for me, how you how I was able to start taking, pulling away. And the best advice that I'd ever heard, which I wish I would have heard it years ago, was just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> and I use that probably every day, at least once a day, making decisions about things. Did you, did you ever sack clients? Because this is something that I know a lot of people struggle with when... I, I was talking to uh, our mutual colleague, Stephanie, and she realised that um, she had certain clients that were just taking up all her time. And so she just got rid of them and she said, no, I'm not going to work with you anymore. And she lost a big chunk of her money. But actually then she could provide more value to our other clients. Word of mouth got out that she's doing better and better job and it was a win-win. But at the beginning she was once again, being pulled from pillar to post by these kind of these corporate vampires that were just asking for her blood at every sort of opportunity. Have you ever sacked anyone? I am trying to think if I ever did or if I just politely did not offer to renew. Oh, you're, t you're tactful, aren't you? Yeah, I'm thinking that I don't think I said with anybody that this is no longer working. We need to call it quits. But I know there are people that I'm like, well, I'm not working with them again. And and then you just make it, yeah, it just doesn't seem like it's an option to renew. Or, you know, then I had the conversation. I'm thinking of one individual where it was like, you know, in order to do that, what we're talking about here, it's, you know, at that point I was able to say, I'm not the best fit for what you're trying to do next. And um, you might be better suited looking over here. But I don't think... Um, and that's one of the things that I didn't know in the beginning of my business was how to have longer term contracts. So a lot of mine were um, very short or they were um, may, maybe three months long. So by the time you're at the end of that, it, there was, you know, you could get through that um, because you'd be about halfway before you figured out that it wasn't going to be a, a good fit for the long run. And and you can just work through three months, I suppose, can't you? Yeah, and then just make sure that you're much more guarded <clears throat> with your time and, and how you schedule that person, and 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 it teaches you very good boundaries for the next person. Absolutely, is it a key thing for? our listeners our listeners listening in who are getting the vibe of doing their own thing should they create the avatar of not just their perfect customer but also their perfect client is that a, a useful thing to do to actually think right i would like a client that falls into a certain criteria and they work towards that or is it just get clients get up and running get your money in and then learn to be a bit choosy um yeah, I did it the latter. Um, I advise people to pick out things that, that they do know up front. And um, because at first, you know, when you start your business, it's like, well, anybody with a pulse and a paycheck or, you know, money <laughs> and we'll make it happen. And um, and I think that that's only okay to a certain amount. Um, 
because you're not always going to be doing your best work. So what I found was that the more I looked at, um, so there were opportunities along the way that I just flat turned down. One was um, if I would come into a business, interview everybody and figure out who should be let go, like who just wasn't a good fit for the environment. And while it seems like that would fit in, you know, they were, they were the right size business. They, um, as far as like a, uh, an ideal client, they, you know, they fit within that mold. Um, they, they met all that crit- criteria, but that actual work that sounded awful to me. And it was, and it was something that quite honestly, I didn't think I was qualified to do Like, I'm not sure I can find the bad in people. I can, help you enhance the good in people. But I don't think I could say this person really should be let go. And um, that client actually argued with me. Like, if if you're a leadership expert and this is what you do, you should be able to come into my company and do this. And I just, you know, and it really tested me because I I felt bad that that I wasn't willing to do it. And I've, and, and she was really testing whether or not, you know, I'm like, well, am I really a, an expert if I if I can't do this? And, and then I just had to stand my ground and say, that is just not work I'm willing to do. And it, it doesn't fit within anything that I want to do with people. That's not how I want to be known. I wouldn't want to get another gig doing that. That's also something to look at. Do You know, if there's something that I want to say that I do, well, then why do it for one person if you're not willing to sell it to anybody else? I, th- and, I think you um, were just playing to your strengths again, Bear, weren't you? you? You you know that you're there to see the good and develop. And she was somebody that was old school, which really has, has forced you down the path that you are now doing what you are. But so many managers do look for the bad in it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so when you're starting your business and, and when you're looking for your clients, looking at those and, you know, don't don't take just any opportunity. And that that could have been lucrative. I have no idea. I don't even know how you would price that out. It sounds like it should be very expensive. But um, but that they, I would have been I would have rather have gone back to my job than do that. So so let's play um, one of our motivational speeches because I, I want to get to your your leap of faith really or the epiphany when you had the words of that um colleague who said you know i'm 35 years old i'm not going to change but before then let's just listen to these this is jim carrey my father could have been a great comedian but he didn't believe that that was possible for him and so he made a conservative choice instead he got a safe job as an accountant and when i was 12 years old he was let go from that safe job and our family had to do whatever we could to survive I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. Now, you were in a corporate gig. So those words, if we'd played them to you at that time, would they have resonated or do they resonate more now because you've actually gone through what he was talking about? I think they resonate more now. But for for me you know, my, my leadership style developed with the conversation with my colleague and, and how, and realizing that, you know, people's, um, it didn't have to be that hard to go to work. Good leadership is not as hard as people make it out to be. We're just off track. So that kind of started me down that path. And then 
what started me into my business was having a son and um, realizing I was taking away from his time if I was going to work. And I wanted to be able to look at him and confidently say that what I was doing was worth his time because that's really what it was. If I was going to um, leave him every day, I wanted to be able to say that this was worth your time. And if I didn't feel like I was doing my best role, what was the most, you know, made the most sense for me, it wasn't that, you know, mommy has a good paying job or a stable job or whatever. I wanted it to be like, you know what, Joey, I'm changing the world and, um, and making an impact on people's lives. And that is worthy of your time. And so that was the big, and that's, that. every time I hear that um, Jim Carrey speech, when you play that, I choke up every time because that's what I think about. Like, I, I could have just stayed for sure. We, we all could have done though, can't we? We, we? You know, there's not many people, well, there are, that, that have instantly gone into successful routes and they've hit their path early on. But I would say the bulk of us all go into stuff because it's there or it's something that sounds good or somebody has told us to do it. So what you're talking about is taking that leap of faith, not so much for yourself, but for somebody else. And that that's a powerful statement. And I think... I think parents obviously feel that more because you realise that you've created this this little person and you've only got one chance of it. And very quickly they will grow up and they will dislike you probably and then then <laughs> leave you. Um, and that's the way life should be. And then they come back later and realise that you weren't such a bad parent after all because they're a parent and they can see how things all go on and you just sit there smugly thinking, yes, I know. Um <laughs> But it is it is a case, isn't it? When you've got something to aim for and you are providing a service to someone as you did with your son, it kind of does make it easier to do that because I felt the same. I suddenly realised that my older children grew up without me. So the younger two weren't going to miss out. And it, it, it cemented my resolve more than I probably would have done without them. Yeah, and and that goes back to where I, you know, I had a million different ideas, but it was that that driving force, um, and and for what I really wanted for my family, and still being able to provide. But I don't think, um, I don't know, without without having him, I, you know, I, it was easy, it was easier to fill up my free time with enough things that distracted me that I thought I was just fine in my corporate job, um, but. Or, you know, I was, it was good enough, you know, you can make do. But then when you're looking at this little creature and thinking, you know, is this what I would want him to do? What lesson am I teaching him that you should just suffer through? And as long as you're paid well, don't worry about if it sucks the life out of you. Absolutely not. That's not what I want him to do. And, and I'm his best role model. Well, I was just coming to that. You are the perfect role model, aren't you? You know, to see your mum getting out there and trying things and walking around the house with a big smile on her face because she's feeling like a 10 because of the work on that day, that's going to send out a message, isn't it? And Mm -hmm. I feel that with my kids now. And I play that Jim Carrey speech a lot. And when we're driving in the car, I I say to them, who thinks they can do anything they want in life? And the kids put their hands up. And, you know, who's going to do anything they want in life? And and they put their hands up. And whether they, they take that to heart, I don't know. But hopefully... 
there's going to be a message that gets through there somehow that they don't have to do what their dad did and go and work 25 years in a bank just because he didn't know what else to do. They've got opportunities. And if they want to, you know, run a shark's diving school or climb mountains or whatever, then it's up to them to create that. I, I was talking to a chap last night, and I've said this a couple of times on shows, so if I'm boring myself, then, then I do apologise, listeners. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was a beautiful way of saying it. And he said, for most of us in life, we are actors, and we go and we get told what to do, and we get given lines to speak. And then when you decide you're going to be a director, you then realise you've got the capability of making your own film and finishing the film as you want. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that really is. What film and, What film would you make? Ooh, what film would I make? Where I have would your, no idea. Where would your film end up? What, what's, where, where's the dream going, Emily? And it's funny because I'm like, oh, now I'm in like mom mode. <laughs> like that dream is, you know, and it's in parallel. And um, and it got me thinking along the way that, um, so I have a stepson who's 19 and I've helped raise him since he was three. And we did a lot of telling him, you know, pieces like you can be anything that you want and, and asking him, you know, what th- activities would you like to participate in? And you did, we did a lot of talking and I feel like now with our younger one, we're doing a lot more showing. And so I think that, that, that the movie would be showing because I think that living it, it make, makes a much greater impact than, than just talking about it. We, you know, we did, we did great with, the, you know, is with what we had. But now to know that at that deeper level that um, I think that showing it in action. So you playing that for your kids in the car is great. But then the fact that you also live it is takes it and really sinks it in. And whether or not they make sense of it now, but, you know, 15 years from now, they will. Um, and so my um, my movie is, is headed towards, you know, making that greater impact on, on how people are working and realizing that um, it's the more you focus on other people, in anything that you do, the more successful you would be. And we used to always joke around um, that that I have this you know thing called Emily's Happy Place. It's this world where everybody is nice to each other and nobody has ill intentions. Every conversation with anybody is from the best of intentions. And um, I would like it to end. You know, I could see fading out in the movie with everybody just being happy. And wouldn't that be a cool place to live? I, th- I think that's that's the perfect place. I, I When I'm driving along and the sun's shining and I've got my roof down and there's a breeze around my head and there's a good song come on, I have happy attacks and I just feel it. I feel like life can't be better than this. And all I want now is to replicate that feeling. And I think the feeling is freedom, really. It's when you're driving mm. along and you've just got not a care in the world and no one's telling you what to do and you are just kind of just enjoying the moment. And I have that when I'm doing the shows now, just talking to you, listening to your Emily's Happy Place. I had that same feeling of happy attack when I'd lost myself in your story. And it, I, I suppose what we're coming to, again, is that that flow when you're playing to your strengths and you're enjoying something so much, 
it doesn't become work again. You just kind of savour it and, and become part of what you're creating. Right, exactly. And I like that word freedom. I hadn't, you know, if I look at the picture that I was painting in my mind while I was saying that, I hadn't thought of freedom. But once you said it, I'm like, yep, you nailed it. it it's that freedom. And um, and it's a freedom to to make choices and to impact others and do the right thing. And, and really the freedom just to be nice and happy to everybody wherever you are. You become the director, don't you? You have the freedom of choice. You, you do what you want. Yeah, exactly. So what, what was it about that, that one employee then, Emily? That you, you've, Obviously, you've been in management roles and you've gone through the, the annual performance review, as all of us have done, and you've sat there with your member of staff and you've said, right, you're doing well on this and you're doing well on that, but you're failing on this and you're failing on that. This is your score at the bottom. Boom. You've got your bonus or you haven't. What was it about this one person that kind of really, I suppose, changed your life? Um, so first of all, she was crying and that just really made me sit back and think, okay, why is somebody crying about a performance review? And I knew she was an overachiever. She was the kind of person you wanted on your team. So those two just did not add up for me at all. And then because basically when she was running through how it went and how her strengths were kind of glossed over, and um, and then it was this laundry list of the things that she should improve the next year to get a better rating. And almost hearing my own words to my team, because I was really working on, um, I wanted to make them well-rounded employees. That's kind of what we're taught, is that you know the more well-rounded somebody is, the better they are. So I was taking highly technical people and and pushing them, and you know they were they were going along with it, whether you know, they verbalized that they didn't like it or not, um, you know, to do things that was really not playing to their strengths at all, like public speaking and meeting other people. Like they, they were really um, reserved, quiet people that, that really, just, they wanted to learn things deeper. And I was not even focused on that because that, that didn't make them well-rounded. And so I think hearing my own words come back at me from such a painful place that I thought, you know, I was just trying to do good by my team and be helpful. And if I made any of them feel remotely like the way she felt, I just, I was just crushed. Like, oh gosh, that would be awful if that's what I was doing to them. And that's where I like, from now on, we're scrapping that plan. And, and I sat down with each of them and started with, you know, what is it that makes you happy? What do you want to be learning? We're rearranging all of our projects to be focused on your skills and and then of course I, I got to reap the benefits of, of doing that but in that conversation I think it was the the pain and then the slap in the face of getting my own words thrown back at me from a different perspective. And how did your manage, management respond to that? Because my experience of corporate land, if you are a middle manager, manager and you are being creative and running the team to the best of its abilities, and I've, I've had this experience that I used to do that and then other managers would say, you can't do that, that other team's not getting the same. And I used to think, I don't care, I'm not managing that other team, this is my responsibility, <laughs> I'm going to do that. Did any other sort of senior managers say to you, hang on, that's not our values, that's not our performance agreements? 
So, um, so I started to take it on as my role to protect my team from everybody else. Um, so they didn't really necessarily know, not that I lied to anybody, but they didn't necessarily know what we were doing differently. Um, and you know, you can kind of, I don't think anybody, to be honest, now that you said that, I don't think anybody looked at what I wrote up in their performance reviews anyway. So I don't know if anybody was paying attention to what I was doing now that I think about it. Um, but then so so a couple of interesting things the 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 spotlight that we had on our group was that um being in a very technical realm um the managers were always the most technical person they got promoted into being a manager and um i actually was if you looked at our group of the six of us i was not the most technical person um I was, you know, qualified to be on the team, but I wasn't the most, I wasn't our best troubleshooter. I didn't know the the stuff the deepest. And, um, but my manager who was our, our, our best person, um, he was miserable being a manager and I really wanted to be a manager. So I actually proposed to him that we switch so that I could lead the people and they could focus on the technical stuff. And we got more pushback from the organization from that change than anything um, than anything else uh, that I did in the group because they wanted to just be able to say, all right, we need to have a manager's meeting and therefore we'll have the most technical people in the room. And I always had to bring somebody with me, which was, so that kind of changed things. But then over time, as we made the changes with our group, the, the biggest compliments I thought were, one, people were trying to join our team because they, they knew something was different. They didn't know exactly what. It's not like I wrote out exactly how I was changing everything and had it up on a board. And it's not like my team knew exactly. We were just feeling it out. And, but then people wanted to join the team. And we had people volunteer their, you know, their time on our team. Um, which was cool. And then, um, but then the best part I thought was then when people wanted to steal my team members, because if they're that awesome on my team, they must, they would be awesome on their team, right? So I want to steal them from you and, and woo them over to this group so that they'll come and work hard for me. And, and the fact that my team was not willing to leave was, was huge. Um, so, so when and, you, and when so- you left, because obviously you have transitioned, did you, leave those people that were loyal to you yes i did um i left and went to another um university to work and and that was really really hard um for me to leave them as much as i loved that team for me as an individual i couldn't develop any further and it still wasn't quite me doing exactly what I needed to be doing with my life. Does it upset you to today? If you look back, that decision that you made, or are you kind of over it now? I'm, I miss them. I miss, I miss the way things were sometimes, but, um, and I miss leading that team and, and having the results and, and really sitting down with them. I sat down with each and every one of them individually when I was putting in my notice and I gave like a two months notice um and it was really you know it was great to hear you know compliments you know the best manager i've ever had you're the only person that ever cared about me at that level and so it was really um you know it was 
it was I was sad to leave them, but for me as an individual, it was the right thing to do. And had I not left that job at that pay scale, I actually I took another job and went down in pay scale. And because I did that, it made it easier to launch my own business. And then I, um, in the long run, now when I interact with them, they're like, "Oh yeah, you should have been doing this all along." So, <laughs> in the you know, it, it all works out. But I I miss them, you know, for sure. It, it, it's funny that isn't it because i get that a lot people say to me oh you should have been doing this years ago oh this is so you oh well, i listened to you for the first time the other day and i was astonished because they used to know me and now they hear me and it's a kind of weird hybrid but it's it's like people know before you know they're, they're telling yeah. you what you should have done but they didn't tell you at the time and you kind of think why didn't you tell me but now it's so obvious. And once again, it's so obvious because you suddenly realize what your strengths are, but other people are being affected by your strengths and your heart and your compassion and the fact that they're saying that you were the best manager and all that kind of stuff, that made a difference to them. And that's what people pick up on. They don't pick up on your kind of competencies. They pick up on your strengths, don't they? Yeah. And, and yeah, that how much you care. And then, and I don't think, I one of my... Um, one of my team members, he, he said along the way, and I think it was really helpful for me, this was many, many years ago, and just said that he had um, worked with somebody who had done three different careers in his lifetime and how, you know, maybe that guy had it right. And from, I'm pretty sure that planted the seed in me again to say, you know, maybe I should be doing something else. Maybe it's okay that I don't want to do this forever because, you know, I felt guilty about not wanting to do this forever after doing it for 15 years. And, um, and so I think that they understood that, but I don't think they could have looked at me and said, Emily, you should start a leadership consulting and coaching business. You know, they, I don't think that was within their mindset. And so I'm sure your um, past coworkers couldn't have said, oh yeah, if you had a podcast, you'd be golden. And a lot of them don't understand what a podcast is, to be honest. I, I, I have to say to people, I'm an online chat show host, and they seem to get that. But if I say podcast, I was on a holiday in Spain, and a lot of people were saying, what do you do for a living? And I, first couple of days, I'd say, oh, I've got a podcast. What is that? And I would found I'd have to explain it. Um, mm. But and now I just say, yeah, I'm an online chat show host. And I've, I've dropped the online bit. I just say chat show host. And they suddenly burst into life. Really? Well, you know, and there's just like this... Enthusiasm, which you're, I've never seen in anything that I've ever done before. And I think it's the unusual aspect of it, isn't it? I think w with your job as well, the thing that I I liked about it and it appealed to me was it, it was in me. When, when I looked at it, I thought, yes, I know exactly what she's doing. Why isn't other companies doing it? And it, it, it made me feel something. And, um, and it is quite unusual. I, I bet there's not many, many companies out there that are doing what you're doing, going around and basically changing morale, improving people's strengths and developments and doing a good job on it. I think most of them are still trapped in, in the old ways of doing it, going around and trying to develop the bad things. Yeah, um, be, and I do get approached where, you know, how do you do discipline? How do you hold people accountable? How do you, and it is from that negative aspect or it's just from, a training aspect like well I know this is something my people should learn so come and speak in front of a room of you know 50 people which is fine but what I 
what I, you know, and talk about developing your business over time, I found out that it's much more useful and powerful for people if you're getting into the business and saying, this is how it will work for you in your business. We all know we need to communicate better. That's great. But, you know, an hour talk about just communicating better isn't that helpful. An hour or three or four hours of us figuring out how you are going to communicate with your team, the way they're built today is, you know, is makes a huge difference for them. And so that's where, um, that's the shift that I had to make to really realize, like, how do you make it sync? Because we can all talk about it. Like you said, there's plenty of business that talk about good things. And we all share the quotes that we love from from the masters. But how do you implement it? That's that's great. But how do I put this all these ideas into action in my own business? That, that I, I was a trainer for years and that was my bugbear but I would do these training courses put all my heart into them and I knew even when I was doing it that the people were going to go out of that room after a day and do nothing and I just yes. kn- knew it and I used to say to the managers right what I want you to do is before the staff come into my training course I want you to sit down with them and work out an action plan and decide on three things that they're going to take from this content and I'd give them like a checklist so they could decide on the things that they wanted to then go in there and then pick up on those bits and then think oh these are the bits I I, I said I was going to focus in on and then we could work on them afterwards I, I could barely get the managers to do that oh oh I'm not oh or you get the classic oh is it training today uh Jim Jim um are you on the phone can you go in and you just like fit up seats quickly with people Mm -hmm. that weren't expected really to go there and Jim suddenly puts the phone down and he was expecting to be doing his job and he suddenly goes into this training course just because he's been told to it's lunacy and it's not just London it's not the United Kingdom it seems to be a worldwide issue yeah it is or or you get the people who um like woohoo it's training day I don't have to work today yeah like (laughs) I came here to give you my all for eight hours and you're thinking it's a free day like no, let's 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 make an impact. Let's let's yeah, let's change lives here, people. Well, <laughs> and um, let, let's play ahead. the words of somebody who has changed lives, and this is the um, theme of the whole show. And I'll be fascinated to see whether it has resonance to you. So we based the show around this. It's called Join Up Dots, and this is Steve Jobs. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path, and that will make all the difference. So can you connect your dots? Can you join up your dots like he's talking about? Yeah, I I can. Looking back, like he says, like, oh, my gosh, if I would have tried this from looking at it, okay, in college, you're going to graduate with an IT degree. And, you know, years later, you're going to end up as a leadership consultant. I would have never seen that progression. But now if I look back, I can see pieces – you know, from every job that that led where I grew a little bit in that area and where really the the people aspect was always the area that um, that I was shining in. And <clears throat> then it was just a matter of how do you how do you make that fit? 
Um, I still remember my very first job out of college. Um, I went in and met with my boss and I said, you know, I want to be a manager someday because I just knew I wanted to lead people. And they looked at me and said, well, in order to do that, you need to be here for eight years. And I about died. (laughs) Here I'm fresh out of college, ready to conquer the world. And that was the answer. Wait for eight years. Like, I can't wait to do anything. I have to be working on it. And, um, And even my last job i i took that job thinking that was kind of my last try of i have a technology background i should try to use that technology somehow in my career and so i did it sales in my last job and i look at that and and i i tried that out and um and what really the i failed miserably at the job and you know i i did the best I could, but to be honest, I just failed at it. And they, um, but I looked at it and it was somebody who started his own business and he was, you know, invoicing in the millions of dollars a year. And it was a small little company. And um, I, I looked at him and said, you know, if he could do it, I could do it. And so that was, I figured that that must have been the dot that I needed to see somebody just take that leap of faith and, and go with it. And then also, too, the culture was so bad, and I knew it could have been so much better, and the business would have been so much more profitable, and I couldn't get them to listen. And, like, I need to work with people because this is a real problem in many places. And um, time and time again, I was asked in my different roles to take over in leadership roles. People wanted me to be, at the last place, the sales manager, and I was I was tanking at sales, but they wanted me to be the leader because they wanted that different um, perspective that I brought to everything. So I knew it was something that was needed, but I would have never guessed that taking that job, like I thought that, you know, every time I took a job, I thought that was going to be it. And then I was going to be happy. I, I think what the world is missing is the fact that we ask people to lead, but we don't ask people to inspire. And I think that the people that inspire naturally lead. People follow them, don't they? And so they become leaders. And all the people that have done amazing things in the world, I don't think that they went in there and said, look, I'm a leader, you've got to follow me. What they've done is they've brought their unique strengths, their authentic self, and they've inspired people to naturally want to follow. And you are, you're either a shepherd or you're sheep. And the majority of people in the world, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, they might like it, like to be in the flock. And other people like to be out of that and they are the ones that need to inspire and once we do that as you're doing and you were doing for that team then everything falls into place and people will naturally follow you and you become a leader yep absolutely and um yeah and if if it's notice it's easy to look back and, and connect those dots and say oh that's the trend that's the commonality i wasn't completely crazy and just jumping all over the place it, it you can see the progression and to now where everything i do is people focused every job i had got more people focused along the way so so where are we going now what what's the next step just before we send you back in time to have a one-on-one with your younger self what's the plan for shoot training and the other things that you've got going on um i have uh, a couple things in the works i'm working on 
um, I started giving out awards for the people skills that I think are really important for people. I call them the Shoop Shift Awards and um, really wanted to focus on leaders who do take the time to communicate well or to handle conflict well, all those different pieces. And I'm looking into how to make that um, something that is more impactful or I can impact more people with that because I feel like there are so many awards out there that are um, numbers-based or quantifiable. And But if we all just focused on doing really good um, people-focused leadership, everybody, you know, they would be impacting so many people and that would be awesome. So I'm working on how I can grow that. And then um, other than that, I'm working at how uh, I started working with clients, you know, originally when I started my business, being the only thing I knew, I started very locally. And so now my path has grown and I'm um, much more regionally and then even had a client in Canada. And so just figuring out what, how, how can I help other businesses that are outside of my um geographic area and and really really hone in on those small businesses that that look around and they say what do we do with all these people we've grown we've added now what do we do and and so that's the next step for me is to build that out so that I can help them um, speed up their uh, their success by really focusing on their people and on a scale of one to ten when you think about all those things how do you score the excitement Oh my gosh, I am like over excited to the point where I need to, I have to rein myself in a little bit because you know, you can come up with too many ideas, right? And then spread yourself too thin. So right now I'm trying to, you, you probably can hear it in my voice. I'm trying to rein myself in and, um, you know, and make sure that I do things well. And that goes back to what we were talking about before. Like, I don't want to just take on the world and serve everybody kind of okay i want to take on you know things as i can and as i grow and and do them each one of them very well i'm sure you will succeed massively because you're smiling as you're saying it you're finding that excitement and you're it's the passion within so you're you're gonna you're gonna succeed big time i'm, I'm sure on that but this is the end of the show and let's send you back in time as we like to do at the end of the show this is the part that we call the sermon on the mic and this is when we transport you back to have a one-on-one with your younger self and if you could go back in time and speak to the younger emily what age would you choose and what advice would you give? Well, we're going to find out because I'm going to play the theme tune and when it fades, you're up. This is the Sermon on the Mic. Here we go with the best bit of the show. The Sermon on the Mic. The Sermon on the Mic. Hey there, College Emily. This is Grown Up Emily. We have kids, we have family, um, all that great stuff that we always wanted. And just wanted to let you know that if you could focus on who you really are, don't follow the money, don't take the logical path, really take the time to pull out those books that, that really show you this is who you are as an individual and this is how you like to work and really think about the times that you want to be working, um, the freedom that you love in everything that you do, the freedom that you're loving in college because you're in control. Make sure that you're looking at that for your next opportunity and for when what you're taking on 
in college and as you get ready to graduate. I promise you that the more we focus on our strengths and on what really makes us, Emily, happy as an individual, and it's always it's always focused around those people. So those classes that are drawing you in, don't ignore them because they you don't think they fit. Really figure out why those are attracting you and we will be much more happier faster because we ended up happy. We're super happy now, but you could speed it up a little bit if you focused in on that earlier rather than later. And I can't wait to meet you at the other end. <laughs> How can our audience connect with you, Emily? Um, I am all over social media um, and my name is spelled a little bit differently. So it's E-M-I-L-I-E and then it's Shoop, S-H-O-O-P, which is super fun to say. Um, I lucked out by marriage there. Uh, but Shoop TC, as in training consulting, is my website, shooptc.com. You can pop over there and um, connect with me. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter or Facebook um, or LinkedIn. I would love to connect with anybody that would be listening. And if you have any questions about how um, you can interact with your team or if you are struggling with a leader and you just want help leading up, by all means, reach out and shoot me a question. I'll try to help you the best I can. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots. And please come back again when you have more dots to join up, because I do believe that by joining up those dots and connecting our past is the best way to build our futures. Emily Shoup, thank you so much. Thank you. This was awesome. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put to... Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com. The only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free. And we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots.